Hello, welcome to Songs in the Key of, a podcast about songs. These might be old songs, new songs or middle-aged songs, anything that takes my fancy really. Sometimes these shows will be themed around an idea, a person, a genre or some other concept. Other times they will simply reflect my latest obsessions, my new favourite bands, those songs I can't get out of my head. This time round, it's all about songs that aren't actually songs, wordless tunes, lyricless ditties. And to do this, we're going on a world tour, taking in Germany, America, Japan, Romania, and in a manner of speaking, an island off the coast of the fictional landmass of Westeros. So let's get going on our magical mystery tour of songs in the key of not songs. The Bees came from the Isle of Wight and released a quartet of quirky, rather fun albums during the first decade of the 21st century. As the theme for this podcast about wordless songs was first percolating through my mind, I had my phone on shuffle rather unusually. And a tune from the Bees' second album, from 2004's Free the Bees, popped up. It's called, rather unfortunately given the present circumstances, The Russian, but it is a rip-roaringly wonderful tune, mixing squelchy organs, ferocious drumming, and some rather wonderful trumpeteering. All this time of listening to it, I've been convinced it's had a reggae beat, that mcha mcha rhythm that actually extends further into pop and rock than anyone realises. But actually, Apart from the end section, which descends into a swirl of gloriously warm chaos, this tune is resolutely heavy on the on-beat, which just shows how much that Caribbean sense of rhythm has become such a vital and glorious cornerstone in music these days when we notice the difference in tunes that don't resemble it. The Russian by the Bees is a rather magnificent tune in no little way, thanks to the way it plays with our understanding of rhythm to create a bizarrely on-beat reggae-influenced musical masterpiece. And it goes something like this.
1991, guitarist and singer Pete Dodson, also of Dodson's Dogs, drummer Russ Baxter, also from Cokes, the Faye Hallam Trio, Secret Affair, The Dilemmas and The Treasures of Mexico, along with bass player Paul Richards, recorded an album called Second to None under the name The Discords. It is just about as Medway Garage as you could ever hope to get. And as with many an album from bands from the Medway in the 1980s and 1990s, there is an instrumental track. It's kind of a prerequisite in these parts. It's kind of the law. Brainstorm is a riot from the get-go, a rumble in musical form. Russ Baxter's drums are on fire, think the safaris wipe out, while Dodgson thrashes guitar chords with such venom you'd think they'd said something nasty about his mum, before he then takes off on a high-speed noodling solo. Brainstorm is a fast, furious rampage around the Medway towns, and you really can't beat it. time, the first secretary of the Communist Party of the Soviet Union, Nikita Sergeyevich Khrushchev, announced that the Soviet Union would abandon its communist principles only when shrimps learnt to whistle. Not only did Dennis Healy and his eyebrows remember this when writing a 1990 assessment of the end of the Cold War in his book When Shrimps Learnt to Whistle, but an American guitarist of some prodigious talent by the name of Leo Kotke decided it would be a great name for a tune on his 1974 album, Dreams and All That Stuff. When Shrimps Learn to Whistle is a fantastic example of Kotke's richly textured playing and elaborate composition. It's almost unbelievable that it's just one man playing this, a kind of mix of bluegrass with classical guitar and a great deal of Kotke's own secret recipe thrown in for good measure. It is rather spectacular.
What links a Graham Norton chat show, James Bond, and the famous lobby gunfight scene in The Matrix? The answer, quite obviously, is an electronic duo from Bath, Will White and Alex Gifford, or the Propellerheads, as they were better known. While their Shirley Bassey featuring song History Repeating, as used on the opening credits of So Graham Norton, their treatment of John Barry's theme to On Her Majesty's Secret Service and their Matrix featuring Spy Break all appeared on their 1998 album Decks and Drums and Rock and Roll, the tune I'm going to feature on this episode comes from their imaginatively titled EP from the same year, Extended Play. It's called Crash. Crash, as all pop pickers will know, is a remix of At the Sign of the Swinging Symbol, famously the theme tune to Pick of the Pops. It retains all the thrill and energy of the original saxophone-driven tune, but manages to turn everything up several notches. The furious pounding drum rhythms, the swirling electronica, the sheer intensity of it all. It's fun and invigorating and glorious. And of course, it goes a bit like this. Once upon a time, there was a blind homeless man who wandered around the 6th Avenue area of New York. He had long hair and a long beard, which resulted in rather unimaginative passers-by telling him he looked like the Christ he no longer believed in. So he addressed this issue by wearing a large Viking helmet, complete with horns, as something of a tribute to the Nordic gods in whom he found a greater sense of spiritual nourishment. It also served as a useful aid to getting around the city by using the headwear to feel for overhead street signs. But Louis Thomas Hardin was not quite the eccentric homeless man most New Yorkers took the Viking of 6th Avenue to be. He was also a revolutionary composer whose style was much like his lifestyle of no fixed abode. There are elements of jazz and minimalism in there, there's a complex form of counterpoint you might expect from any of the Baroque style's finest and a fantastic exploration of rhythm that will simply blow your mind. 
and the name by which he went, Moondog. Possibly his best known composition is Bird's Lament. It is an utterly beautiful piece of music, a kind of conversation between saxophones over a syncopated driving backing by other saxophones. Despite being released in 1969, there's a sumptuous nod to the jazz age about this very short piece of music. It's the sort of thing you could expect Poirot to solve his murders to, or for Gatsby and Daisy to conduct their affair to. There have been varied adaptations and remixes of this piece of musical deliciousness. Mr Scruff borrowed it for his tune Get A Move On from the album Keep It Unreal in 1999, and more recently Katia Labeck and the trio that make up Triple Sun recorded a rather haunting version of it for their tribute to Moondog using piano, guitar, percussion and drums. But nothing quite matches up to the profound magic of the original. Those parping saxophones dancing around each other with the agility of Olympic gymnasts. This then is Bird's Lament. This is Moondog. to talk about Game of Thrones much these days. That final season, in fact the moment from when the whole thing managed to jump the dragon towards the end of series 7, continues to leave a nasty taste in my mouth. Nevertheless, the next tune does give me an opportunity to geek out and show just how weirdly my brain works. For this next section of the podcast, we will be talking about Game of Thrones, Father Ted the band formerly known as British Sea Power, and how all three are united in a very, very common theme. Fans of Game of Thrones, assuming such fantastic beasts are not actually extinct these days, will recall that Daenerys Targaryen landed at the island of Dragonstone on her way to invade, stroke liberate, stroke do the thing she did at King's Landing. Fans of absolute geekiness and geography will already be aware that the southern half of George R. R. Martin's fictional continent of Westeros is the spitting image of the island of Ireland turned through 180 degrees, which means that King's Landing is roughly in the same position as Galway, the Sea of Dawn translates to Donegal Bay, the academic ivory towers of Old Town can actually be located in Belfast, and Casterly Rock, the ancestral seat of the treacherous Lannisters, is actually Dublin, which means that Dragonstone then translates to become Inishmore, one of the Aran Islands, although rather confusingly, 
George R. R. Martin flipped these islands after he turned the rest of Ireland on its head. The Aran Islands have doubled for another fictional place on our TV screens though. Craggy Island in Channel 4's Father Ted is most likely one of those islands, as you'll see from the opening credits of the sitcom, which features jerky helicopter footage of the view over the smaller of the islands in each year. And what has all this got to do with songs and the key of anything at all? Well, back in 2009, British Sea Power, as they were then known, released an alternative soundtrack to a 1934 documentary by the filmmaker Robert J. Flaherty, Man of Arran, which, in truth, bore as much of a similarity to life on an Irish island as Father Jack Hackett has with Jon Snow. The family portrayed in this documentary aren't actually a family, and they are seen planting potatoes, which had always been practically impossible on the sparse, rugged landscape of the islands, and risking their lives while hunting a shark, something that no Aran Islander had actually done for 50-odd years prior to the making of the film. It all makes for a rather romanticised version of Ireland life, which Flaherty defended at the time as offering a sense of poetic realism, using a revival of old customs as a means of representing current harsh realities. To say that's a fairly flawed way of working is to state the bleeding obvious. But it does remain an enticing film, and the addition of the new soundtrack only adds to the interest. Take Spearing the Sunfish, for example, a dramatic rhythmic tune full of pounding drums, distorted violent guitar chords and chugging strings. All the disharmonic cacophony is a perfect musical representation of life, factual or otherwise, on the shore of a craggy island. It screeches and swirls, it thunders and growls, it rises and falls. And it goes something a lot like this.
quite a few bands and artists I rave on and on and on about on this podcast, often crowbarring in mentions of them as musical yardsticks, even if I'm not actually playing anything by them on that particular episode. One such artist is Hannah Peel, whom I first encountered as part of the lineup of the Magnetic North alongside Simon Tong and Erlen Cooper. But Hannah Peel is so much more than being one third of a spellbinding bunch of artists. She's a phenomenal solo artist and collaborator, as I have waxed lyrical about at length, thanks to her Mary Cassio, Journey to Cassiopeia album, which melded the unlikely ingredients of electronica and brass bands. Now she's done it again, not with a brass band this time, but with an ensemble of classical musicians called Para Orchestra. The result is The Unfolding, which was recorded before and during the pandemic. The album is formed of nine tracks, the last of which, rather unusually, is composed of Hannah Peel herself, reading out the names of the artists and studio engineers involved in the project, which gives the whole album a rather formal feel, as if you've just been listening to an adaptation of a Chekhov play on Radio 4. A couple of tracks before that, we get We Are Part Mineral, which drives along at a wonderful brisk pace, with drums doing much of the heavy lifting, while strings and winds shimmer around the periphery and wordless vocals leap around like parkour athletes. It's a perfect melding of traditional orchestral instruments with Hannah Peel's distinctive electronica, bringing bass clarinets, violins and bassoons into the nightclub your mind. as something of a shock to me that I have as yet not featured the work of an 11-piece contemporary English folk band on any of these podcast episodes, and not just any old 11-piece contemporary English folk band, oh no. The 11-piece contemporary English folk band I happen to be thinking of is, or was, Bellowhead. Bellowhead had a rather amazing knack for taking ancient folk songs and pumping fresh life into them, re-imbuing them with the kind of vitality that the songs no doubt had for their original listeners in their original form. No doubt folk purists will cover their ears in absolute horror at the sound of jazz and funk elements being introduced into the mix of good old-fashioned English traditional tunes, 
but I find there's something invigorating and absolutely wonderful about them. Take, for example, Unclothed Nocturnal Manuscript Crisis from the 2009 album Umbrello Head, a compilation album made up of songs recorded by individual members and pairings from the wider lineup. To open proceedings, the full band offer a particularly funky tune that provides each member with the opportunity to shine with little snippets of solos, furious fiddling, parping syncopated brass and heavy on the wah-wah guitar that would do Niall Rogers proud. Oh, and there's some Northumbrian pipes in there for good measure. Obvs. Simmons, the first ever guest on this show, can always be relied upon to be a font of good taste in the music department. Every now and then he'll send me a quick message with a recommendation of something or other he believes I'd like, and he's very often very, very right. Take, for example, the album by Japanese musician Ryo Arai called Mind Edit from 1999, which is a mesmerising minimalist rhythmic trip of a lifetime. Heavy on repetitive, though innovative beats, the whole album treats melody as being so last year. Rhythm is clearly where it's all at. Take HIP, for example, H-Y-P, which disorientates the brain at first as the musical action flips from your left ear to your right and back again with the speed of a flying bullet. There's a regular hypnotic pulse from a synth, and the majority of the rest of the work is done by meticulous as ever drums of the sparsest of bass lines and glitchy, fast-paced, but very, very softly played guitars.
Some years ago, my mate Dom invited me along to the Barbican for an evening of gypsy music, the main draw being Eugene Hutz of Gogo Bordello, who would apparently be toning down his usual charismatic punky stage persona for something a little more gentle. However, prior to his appearance, there was another act who appeared on stage that simply blew my mind. They went by the name of Mahala Rai Banda, and they were ruddy amazing. Mahala Rai Banda, so the story goes, are actually a fusion of two sets of musicians. A close-knit Romanian family who spent their early lives playing weddings, introducing more modern pop elements to traditional folk songs, and a group of older ex-servicemen from Moldova who played brass instruments in military bands as a supposed form of punishment for their gypsy heritage. The punishment didn't quite work. They enjoyed it too much. Mahala Gieska, the opening track of the first album, is a wonderfully cacophonous, captivating musical spectacle full of amazing moments. Each time you hear it, you'll hear something new. The unravelling clarinet, the offbeat tuba bass, the hurly-burly of the strings, the frenzy of the cymbalum, and the way absolutely everything comes together like magic. You might recognise it, of course, it features prominently in Sasha Baron Cohen's Borat movie. Borat is supposed to have come from Kazakhstan rather than Romania, but hey, let's not let facts get in the way of a good piece of music. <laughs> songs. I hope you enjoyed them. Let me know by responding to the post for this episode on the Songs in the Key of Instagram account with what you thought and what wordless tunes leave you speechless. I'll be back sooner or later with Songs in the Key of something or other else. In the meantime, have a marvellous few days and nights till we meet again. (laughs) 